Okay, if you want to find the book of Exodus in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, the words will appear on the screen behind me. Um, And uh, over the last, I think probably, I don't know how long ago we started, maybe two and a half years ago, we started working through the book of Exodus. It's your second book in the Bible, and it tells this wonderful story of what happened to the people of Israel They'd been led into uh, Egypt by Joseph. And the book of Exodus picks up the story many years after Joseph has died. And all his accomplishments and feats have have been forgotten. And the people of Israel have come from being this nation serving alongside the Egyptians to now they're a people lost in slavery uh, as part of... I guess under the oppression of quite an evil empire led by Pharaoh. Uh, And the first couple of chapters of the book of Exodus tell quite a grim and a bleak story of the oppression that they faced, the injustice that they had to live under. And the first 14 chapters of this book tell the story of God's dramatic intervention. You get this battle between good and evil, but it's very much an unequal battle. God shows his power and his might, and he comes, and through the the ten plagues, and then eventually through leading the people out through the Red Sea, you see God's victory, his redemption of the Israelites to bring them out into freedom. Uh, And in the Exodus story, it's not just a fascinating piece of history, but in the story of the people of Israel and their exodus moment, we find our own story of how God has, for each one of us, drawn us out of slavery to sin and rescued us, redeemed us, to draw us into relationship, intimacy with him, with our Father in heaven. And after they've been through the Red Sea, we find them in the wilderness, And they have this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that leads them through. And they come to Mount Sinai. And God speaks to them and gives them his law, the Ten Commandments, which we were looking at earlier this year, if you remember that. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today uh, in Exodus chapter 20. And we're just going to read a few verses from that as we get back into the book of Exodus. So let me read this to you. This is from verse 18 of chapter 20. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will hear but let not God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to prove you, and that the fear of him may be before your eyes, and that you may not sin. And the people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let me pray. Jesus, we want to thank you that for those of us here this morning who are 
believers in you, that we know you've led us out on our own exodus journey and that we played no part in that, that you've rescued us, ransomed us, redeemed us, saved us, and you've done that for a purpose that we might know you. And that's our prayer this morning, that as we look at these words together, that we might know you again, and you are fresh in our hearts, that you might speak to us and guide us and lead us. So we just want to bring our hearts, our souls open to you this morning and say, have your way, have your will, your will be done, your kingdom come in our lives and in this church we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever been in a, a kind of a, a freak weather scenario, you know, or a situation where you felt like you were in imminent danger, that your life was at threat. Uh, I was on a plane once. Why are people laughing? All I said was I'm on a, I was on a plane once, and my plane was struck by lightning. And um, all the kind of lights went out for a few seconds, and everyone kind of gasped. And uh, very quickly, everything was fine. And I'm probably making the story much more dramatic than it should be, which is why people are laughing at me. But there was a few seconds there where you heard this bang. I didn't, we didn't know at the time it was lightning, but there was a bang and the lights went out. And when you're on a plane, that's a fairly disturbing thing to happen. And there are a few seconds where I considered my fate and thought, is this how it ends? On an easy jet flight, you know, next to a man that smells like he's just had a bath in tuna or something. And you're thinking, is this the end of the story? And it wasn't, which was a great relief to me. But have you ever been in that scenario? Maybe some of you have. Maybe you've lived in a part of the world where there have been earthquakes or tornadoes, or you've been under the, the threat of the possibility of that. You've been in that scenario, maybe suddenly you've just stepped into a very dangerous situation. And you think, I'm not sure I'm gonna get, get out of this. You know, how's this gonna go? And that sense of dread and worry can fill your heart. And I guess that's probably how the people of God would have felt in this story. Can you just imagine that scene that Moses has come down from the mountain and given them the Ten Commandments, and then there's this thunder and flashes of lightning, and they hear this trumpet, and the mountain before them is smoking. I mean, that sounds like a volcano. That would have been a terrifying, terrifying sight. And as you can tell in this story, they were, they were terrified. They were petrified. So they did what perhaps you might do in that scenario, is that they undertook a risk assessment. Have you ever done any, maybe as part of your job, you've done any kind of risk assessments? I had to do a few once for a job I had, and there were two things you had to consider when you do a risk assessment. One is the likelihood of something happening. How likely is it that this could happen? So, you know, this morning we could say, how likely is it that aliens are gonna come and invade and, uh, you know, storm the building? Uh, and then you give it, there's like a traffic light system. You say, green, not very likely. Orange, you know, medium likely. And red, imminent danger. So you assess, first of all, the likelihood, and then you assess the consequence of that happening. So if 
aliens did you know, take over the building, that probably would be better, unless they wanted to make some kind of peace treaty with us. But I would imagine it probably wouldn't be a very good thing to happen. Uh, and then again, you assess it on the traffic light system, green, orange, red. And then if you come out with two reds, that means you panic, or you, you, you put a good risk assessment into place. And that's what the people of God have, have essentially done here. They've seen this mountain, they've heard the trumpet, the lightning, the thunder, and they've done a risk assessment and they stand back. It says they stood far off, they, they, which is understandable. I think we probably would all do the same thing in the same situation. We would see a terrifying natural disaster uh, appearing before our eyes and we would stand back, we'd be afraid. But what this, this story tells us is that they had, they'd saw, they'd seen what was happening, but they'd failed to see it. That they'd heard, but they failed to understand. That somehow there was something in this story that they fundamentally missed. That they just didn't get it. That although there was this awesome sight in front of them, they misinterpreted how they should respond, and they took the wrong action. And despite everything that they'd been through, these people that have been rescued dramatically, and they'd seen the faithfulness of their God, they'd seen his love and his care for them, his rescue of them, they'd experienced this wonderful Exodus redemption story, and yet they misunderstood the character of God. They, they they didn't understand what he was doing or why. And their fear in this story, their fear is understandable, but somehow incorrect, improper. It's not how they should have responded. And we do the same. We do the same with God so often. We fail, we sin, we make a mistake. We do something, or we think something, and we know, oh, that's, that's not how I should live. It's not what I want my life to look like. I know that doesn't please God. And yet, in that moment, we can be tempted to then stand far off, to run away from God, to turn our back and hide. And we can cower away, thinking that God is angry with us, that he wants to punish us, or at least he wants to look on us with disapproval, that somehow there's a fresh vindictiveness, a judgment coming towards us. We've seen, but we fail to understand. And how do we know that the people of God in this story are misunderstanding what's happening. Well, there's a few clues here in this story. First of all, where it talks about the, the lightning coming, it's actually it's a bit of a weird word in the original language. It's not the same as elsewhere in the Bible where it talks about thunder and lightning. It normally uses a different word. And this lightning is more like, it's talking about like flashes. And the only other time you find that in the Bible, that particular word, is actually back in the Genesis story, where you get this wonderful moment where God comes 
to Abraham, this great patriarch, one of the fathers of the Israelite faith, and God comes to Abraham and he makes a covenant with him. A covenant is like a firm, deep promise, a commitment. He says to Abraham, look at the stars. You try and count them if you can. That will be your descendants. You're going to be a father of a great people. And then this ritual takes place, and this covenant is made between Abraham and God. And at the start of that passage, God comes to Abraham and says, do not fear. You don't need to fear. So God says to Abraham, and he makes his promise with them. And I have to wonder whether the Israelites, whether they should have been reminded of that. The thunder and lightning weren't there to terrify them. They were to display the awesome power of God, but at the same time, remind them of his saving power, of his desire to lead them, to guide them, the same way he led Abraham and Joseph and Isaac and Moses. They're supposed to see the thunder and lightning and be astounded and, and, and see the might of God, but yet somehow see his redemptive power, his love for them. And when they hear the trumpet, it says in Exodus 19 that, the, that God tells them that this is what's going to happen. He tells them there's going to be a trumpet sound. And when you hear the trumpet, to come up to the mountain. The trumpet is like a call to worship. It's a call for them to come and meet with God. And yet what happens is they hear the trumpet, and instead of coming up to the mountain, they stand far off. Again, they've misunderstood what God's doing. God's saying to them, come to me. Draw near, and yet they draw away. They're scared when actually they should come and delight. They should come and worship. And the smoke, I wonder if even the smoke coming out of the mountain would have, perhaps that should have reminded them of that pillar of cloud that led them every day through the wilderness, that was a sign of God's care and guidance for them. That's what the pillar of cloud is. It was God saying, I'm, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to care for you. And they see this same smoke over the mountain. And instead of being reminded of his care for them, they're terrified. They misunderstand God. And these signs aren't there to scare them, but they're a powerful declaration that God is here. That's what he's saying to them. He's saying, I'm here. I've delivered you my word. There's a holiness, there's a power to that, but it all comes from a loving, faithful father. It's the message he's trying to get across to them. And maybe you have that same problem, that you come to God fearful because of what you've done. Maybe this week, today, a month ago, a year ago, there's things that you've done or said or thought in your head that you're ashamed of, that you feel this crushing sense of guilt. There's a fear in your heart, and you think, I can't possibly bring these things to God. He can have everything else, but these things are hidden. He can't see them, because you're scared of the consequences. And yet, Moses 
answer to them. So they're scared, they see these signs, they back off. So Moses comes to them and he says this. He says, do not fear. You know, same thing that God says to Abraham. Do not fear. Sounds like a very tenderly, fatherly response. And it is. He said, don't fear. You don't need to fear. But then he says this. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you. That's a bit confusing, right? He's kind of saying, do not fear so that you can fear. It's a bit like, have you ever been in one of those arguments where kind of, you know, your voices just race and the temperature rises to the point you're just shouting it and you start shouting, I'm not shouting! But you are. It seems a bit like that. There's somehow Moses saying, don't be afraid! Be really afraid! And you think, what is going on here? What's, what's Moses trying to say to them? And in the Bible, you get this kind of like, it's a bit like a fear paradox. It doesn't quite make sense, but over a hundred times, either this expression or other expressions to do with fear are used, but in a positive sense. In a, in a positive sense, that to fear God is a positive thing in the Bible, that there's something good and fulfilling. And often this idea of fearing God is used uh, in language around obedience and faithfulness, but worship and joy. The power of our joy of being a Christian is to fear God. That might not make sense to you, but there's a story in the book of Jonah, a famous story where Jonah, this prophet, is on a boat, and this storm comes in, and the sailors are afraid, and then Jonah has to fess up to them, says, actually, this storm's happening because I was disobedient to God. You know, I should have served him, and, and I haven't, so God sent this storm. And it says in, in Jonah that the men, the sailors on the ship, were exceedingly afraid. They were terrified. But then Jonah jumps off the side, gets eaten by a fish. That's, you'll have to read the story to find out what happens next. It's one of the best stories in the Bible. But what happens on the boat is fascinating because the, the situation dies down. So... Th- the men were afraid because this storm was about to destroy them. And yet suddenly there's no reason for them to be afraid anymore. And then it says, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. So before, as the storm's taking place, they're exceedingly afraid. And then when they see God's hand at work, they have the fear of the Lord. <laughs> you think, well, what's going on there? Well, they're, they're, they're two different things. There's a wrong fear that we can have of God, and there's a right fear that we can get, have of God. You might, might think, so is God, is he just a tyrant? You know, If you went into work tomorrow and your boss said, um, on your to-do list this week is you know, answer those emails and got a few meetings to go to, and if you could fear me as well, that would be number three on your to-do list, just fear me you would think, whoa, this boss is not good news. You know, how, how, how can I work for someone that, that wants my fear? It makes it sound a bit like God is some kind of evil dictator, 
ruling his earth through control and fear and anger. Or maybe you think this sounds a bit like God's just a cruel father. You know, maybe that's your experience of fathering. That, uh, that fathers you've experienced or seen have been cruel or harsh, unkind, unfair. That they've ruled the household through fear. Or at least through a lack of love. You've lived in that context, or maybe you've had a job, you've worked in that context where everyone's just on edge all the time. You know, you don't want to break that thing. You don't want to step out of line because there'll be a consequence. And you've had to live in that climate of fear, an uncomfortable tension in the air. And you think, is God like that? Is he just waiting for an excuse to punish us well, he's not like that at all. You see, this positive fear of God, it's a really wonderful, joyful, humble submission to him. It's, quite, it's difficult to put into words, but it's something the Bible encourages us to do, so it's something we should seek after. I guess the best way to describe it is it's when God becomes so big in your vision that he just takes over everything else. All the other issues of your life, all the other things that might lead you to fear become small in comparison to God. He just becomes this overwhelming thing before you. He becomes so big in your heart that you know you can't run away from him and you have to run to him. And yet when you run to him, rather than standing far off from the mountain, when you come to it, you don't find an angry God looking to punish you. You don't find judgment waiting for you. You find a loving father who cares for you. <laughs> That's what it is to have the fear of the Lord in your heart is that everything else just disappears and God's just the biggest thing in your life. And everything around your life is just dictated by him. I just want to follow him everywhere. I just want to do what he says, because he loves me. And there's this wonderful side benefit to this, is when you discover this kind of reverential or in your heart is that suddenly following Jesus just becomes so much easier. You suddenly find joy in following him. Doesn't mean life becomes easy all of a sudden. But you'll find the Holy Spirit will breathe into your heart, will help you, will guide you, will lead you. And it begins to release you not just from a wrong fear of God, but from a wrong fear of everything else. So much of our lives are ruled by fear. You might think the idea of fearing God is a horrible thing, but if you really consider your life, you'll see so much of it is dictated by fear. Fear that people might discover what you're really like, 
They might discover your fears and your worries, your anxieties, your mistakes, what you really think. You, you live constantly afraid of what people think of you. But when the fear of God becomes just the biggest thing in your life, all those other things just, little by little, just diminish. <laughs> and you find you a wonderful freedom, a liberty comes into your heart. And yet, despite Moses' encouragement, despite him calling to them and saying, you don't need to fear, they remain distant. This says again that they stand far off from the mountain and they don't listen to what he says and they stand back. And they say to Moses, you have to, you have to stand between us and God. We can't hear his voice, it's too much for us. He has to speak to you and you have to tell us. They're asking for a mediator, you know, someone to stand between in the middle. That's what they're asking for, a mediator to come and help them. And when it comes to us and God, you know, we're also not up to the task. If you consider the sin in your life, what you're really like, your failings, your mistakes, your regrets, and we consider the wonderful holiness of God, we know we too need a mediator, a Moses to come to stand between us and God. And that feeling of knowing we're not up to the task, as we've already said, that can lead us to stand far off Maybe that's happening in your life. Maybe that's the day-to-day, -day, the pattern, the rhythm you've got to in your walk with God, that it's a distant thing. A few symptoms of this might be that you see God as either a tyrant or you see him as a harsh father. Maybe you can't quickly repent. By repent, I mean to confess your sin and turn away from it. Maybe you feel like you can't do that, that you sin and you know you've sinned, and then you know you've, your first instinct is to prove yourself first. If I, if I now spend the next, the rest of this day praying, if I go and sing some worship songs, if I sit and read my Bible, I can somehow prove myself, and then, then, I'll, then I'll repent, then I'll say sorry to God but I need to do some things first. Maybe that's how you respond to God. Maybe your confession, when you come to God and you tell him what's going on in your life, maybe it's conditional. There are some things you can't tell God. There's some things that you've hidden away. You're not just if you hid them from other people, you're trying to hide them from God himself, so much so that perhaps you've even really begun to hide them from yourself. You kind of have begun to pretend that somehow they're not really an issue in your life anymore. And yet they are. They're constraining you. They're holding you back. That you've, you've locked them down. No one can see this anymore. Not even God. Maybe you treat relationships like that. That you can never really tell anybody what's really going on in your life. That people ask you how you're doing. You're like, yeah, I'm fine. You give them like, you know, have you ever watched the football highlights on TV? You get like five minutes of a 90-minute game. 
and they show you, you know, the goals and all the best bits, the red cards, sending, you know, all the, all the fun bits they'll show you. And then you actually go to a football match, and some football games are really exciting, some are really boring, right? And you see a few goals, and the rest of it is just like, oh, good grief. Come on, guys, you know, just, just get on with it. And sometimes, sometimes that's how we are with relationships. People ask us how we're doing, and we give them the, the edit, we just give them the top bits. Here are the three th best things that have happened to me this week. You say, yeah, I'm great, life's brilliant. And, you know, people, and, then, and then sometimes maybe you're, you're hoping they might ask you some searching questions to probe a bit deeper, but they don't, and life moves on, and you just bounce from relationship to relationship just like that. No one gets to see what you're really like. And I think that's a symptom, really, of perhaps how you see God. That you've never really... You never really let God see what you're like, and yet he does see, he does know, but there's something that you're holding back because you're scared, you're fearful, the same as the people before the mountain. You've just stood far off, and yet he's drawing you near because the wonderful, wonderful good news is that we have our own Moses, we have a mediator. It talks in Hebrews that there's one greater than Moses to come. There's a better, greater Moses to stand between us and God. It says in 1 Timothy, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men and that man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what, why he's taken you on this wonderful Exodus story. He's redeemed you. He's pulled you out of the slavery of sin in your life and drawn into him. He's forgiven you for a reason, so you can draw near to God. Because of the work of this mediator now, we can all come to the mountain. We can come to God. We can know him. We can know this gracious, loving Father. We don't have to hold anything back from him anymore. Fearing judgment, guilt or shame. We don't have to feel guilt. You don't have to feel guilt or shame. It's amazing. You could just come and know his love because he gave himself for you. He took the judgment that you deserve on himself so you might have life. And how do we know this? Well, it says in Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. <laughs> All of us, if you're here this morning, you're a believer in Jesus, you were far off. You had to stand back from the mountain, but now you've been drawn near by the work of Jesus on the cross for you, by his life, death, and resurrection. You can now come near to God. You can know him intimately. You know his power, his love, his care, his guidance for you.
And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, that invitation's open to you today. You can come and know him for the first time. You can come before him and say, God, I'm sorry for all the things I've done. You can come and confess, repent of those things that you know you failed. And you can come and receive his grace and his love. And you can come and draw near to him this morning. Let me pray and then we'll worship God together. We thank you, Jesus, that in the same way Moses could come to that cowering people who were scared, who were afraid. I'm going to just speak these paradoxical words of hope and say, you don't need to fear. <laughs> you can fear instead. You don't need to fear, but you can know the right, positive, wonderful fear of the Lord this releasing thing that brings joy and life and liberty. And I pray, Jesus, you would just speak to just every heart this morning that's afraid. And you just breathe your life and your hope right, right into your, our hearts again. We thank you, God, that we know every time we open up your word together, that life comes. We know that you've been at work, Holy Spirit, this morning, so we just receive you again and just say, come and do some surgery on our hearts. We want to know you. I don't want anything to stand in between me and you, God. I don't want any fear or worry, any situation to stand between me and you because I don't need to anymore, because a mediator's come so that I can approach, so I can draw near. So I pray, God, you would just speak into our lives, all those situations where we know there's something in the way, whether it's guilt or shame, fear, anxiety, a situation, something we've done, something that we want to do. I pray you just come and breathe life and freedom again, that we'd see a bigger picture of who you are, of your love, of your faithful firing of us, and you'd help us to draw near to you again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.